Genesis chapter 22. The story of Abraham and Isaac is found in the first book of the Bible, chapter 22. And it is a tremendously important biblical passage. It's the reason, actually, why it is enshrined in glass here at St. Lawrence. It's also why the sacrifice of Abraham, of his son Isaac, is mentioned in the Eucharistic prayer. You'll notice that Father Man and I often choose to use Eucharistic prayer number one. There's like now, since the Second Vatican Council, there's now like eight options. Prior to the Second Vatican Council, there was only one Eucharistic prayer. Eucharistic prayer number one, or sometimes referred to as the Roman Canon. In it, it speaks about the sacrifice of Abel, the sacrifice of Abraham, and the bread and wine offered by Melchizedek. This is the sacrifice of Melchizedek here, which is a whole other homily. But here we have the sacrifice of Abraham, Genesis chapter 22. I want to ask two questions this morning. What type of faith is required in a man who is willing to kill his son in honor of God? What type of faith is required of a man, a father, who's willing to kill his son at the request of God? Second question, what impact does that have on that son? What impact does that faith have on the son? So let's start off just by looking at this biblical passage. This passage is so, so deep. I've counted over 30 connections between the sacrifice of Abraham and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's why this biblical passage of Abraham and Isaac, Christians have always looked at as being so very important. Real quick, Abraham is the father of all of Judaism. His name was Abram, and God took him away from his own place and led him to a new place. He gave him a new name. He changed it from Abram to Abraham. And a covenant was formed between God and Abraham and Abraham and God. And God promised Abraham that he would give him ultimately a land and a kingdom and that he would have more children than there were stars in the sky or sand on the seashore. And Abraham and his wife had no children. And his wife Sarah was 90 years old. Now ladies, I don't know if any of you are 90 years old. But even for those of you who are 30 or 40, if God appeared to your husband and said that God was going to found a holy nation on you at the age of 40 or 50 or 60, what would you think of your husband? You think he's nuts. And yet Abraham had faith and Abraham believed and Abraham waited. God ultimately gave him his only son Isaac. Now, God had been faithful to the promise. He'd given him a land. He'd given him a people. He'd given him a son. And now God said, Abraham, I want you to kill your son. Take him on top of a mountain and sacrifice him. This is a prefigurement of what we see up here. And I'm just going to point out some of those connections. Abraham, a father, and God, the father, lead their son to be sacrificed. A donkey is involved in the sacrifice. Read Genesis chapter 22, and a donkey is involved in this sacrifice. 
When was the donkey involved in Jesus' sacrifice? On Palm Sunday. They both leave their homeland in order to sacrifice. Each son is referred to in sacred scripture as an only begotten son. The only son of the father. Both sons are descendants of Abraham. Isaac, obviously. Both sons are born by divine intervention. Abraham to a woman who's 90 years old and sterile. Jesus to a woman who's 14 years old, but no father is involved. Both sacrifices take place on a mountain. Both sons carry wood for the sacrifice. Look what images are actually on the either side of this window. What is Jesus doing in both of the images on either side of this window? Carrying wood for the sacrifice. How do you think that wood that Isaac is on in this stained glass window got to the top of that mountain? Isaac carried it. Both sons on top of the mountain ask their father a question. Isaac asks his father, Father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? What does Jesus say on top of Mount Calvary? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Both sons are submissive to the father's will. Both fathers are willing to sacrifice their sons. And both fathers love their sons immensely. Abraham has a knife in his hand to pierce his son. Jesus is pierced. In his hands, his feet, and eventually in his side. In both sacrifices, God provides a lamb for the sacrifice. In both sacrifices, God provides a lamb. You'll notice on the right side of this window, you'll see a lamb caught in a thorn bush. You'll see a lamb caught in a thorn bush or a thicket. An angel stops Abraham. He's tested, but he doesn't kill his son. And they kill the lamb. They kill the ram in place of the son. God provides a lamb. Here, God provides a lamb. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the... What will we sing in just a few moments? Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Both lambs are caught in a thicket or caught in thorns. Clearly here, but what is encircling our Lord's head? A thicket, a crown of thorns. Both sacrifices are substitutional sacrifices. Isaac was to be sacrificed, but who is sacrificed in the place of Isaac? The lamb. How is this a substitutional sacrifice? Who's supposed to be sacrificed up here? You and me. And yet Jesus takes our place. Abundant blessings flow from both sacrifices, and the Son ultimately doesn't die in both sacrifices. The Son lives. And both sons are actually risen on the third day. Jesus rises on the third day, and if you actually count the days of journey that it takes for Abraham and his son to get from their camp to the top of the mountain, it's three days. And what does Isaac do? He rises from the sacrifice alive. This sacrifice from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 22, is a powerful 
understanding of what the sacrifice of Calvary is. And when we come to Mass, we come to the sacrifice of Calvary. Every Mass is the sacrifice, the representation of Calvary, poured out for us under the appearance of bread and wine, like the sacrifice of Melchizedek from the book of Genesis as well. What type of faith did Abraham have to have to be willing to sacrifice his son? We hear in our gospel passage today this, Do not be afraid any longer, my little flock, for your father is pleased to give you a kingdom. How many of us live in fear because we don't believe that God actually is going to be true to his promises? How many of us live in fear because we don't really trust God? The reality is, is that Abraham trusted God blindly. He left his homeland, and he believed that God was giving him a kingdom, a nation, and a people. And he gave life to he and his wife in their old age. So Abraham was like, God's been faithful in the past. Why would God not be faithful right now? If he's asked me to sacrifice my son, I will do anything the Lord asks me. So what about you and I? How many of us have received blessing after blessing from God, but we still don't trust him? Do not be afraid any longer, my little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, my brothers and sisters. If God asks of something from you, do not be afraid any longer, for your father is pleased to give you a kingdom. If God is calling you to do something great in his name, don't be afraid. If God is calling some of you young people to be a priest, don't be afraid. If God is calling some of you young girls to be a religious sister, don't be afraid. If God is calling some of you parents to allow your child to be a priest or religious sister, don't be afraid. If God is calling some of you to enter into ministry or to the missions, don't be afraid. If God is calling some of you to take your marriage to a whole other level, don't be afraid. If God is calling you to faithfulness, don't be afraid. Have faith. What type of faith does it take to be willing to sacrifice your child? A deep and abiding faith and trust that God has a kingdom prepared for us. And now question number two. What did the faith of Abraham do to Isaac? Imagine that you are Isaac and your father who has, because of his faith, made you move out of your home, found a new nation, found a new people, and you are his only son. And he takes you on top of a mountain to kill you. What would that faith do to you? There is a study in Switzerland in 1994. Some of you have heard the results of the study before. I'd like to go over them again. Abraham is a father, and he is setting an example, a mighty example for his son Isaac, and it should not go unnoticed, because Isaac will follow Abraham in a mighty way as the leader of this nation, as a leader of this kingdom. Raise your hand if you're a man. Raise your hand if you are a father. Okay, fantastic. Gentlemen, if you could please tune your ears up, because you need to hear this. The study that was done on men 
was done specifically on the religiosity of men and the transferring of their faith to their children. And gentlemen, if you do not know this, your role in passing on the faith is more important than the role of the woman. And there's a problem. Because most men don't do this. I realize I'm speaking to men that are in church right now, but you need to hear this data, and in fact, every woman needs to hear this data. Here's the data. If both a father and a mother attend church every single weekend, they're regular churchgoers. 41% of their children will become regular churchgoers. Sorry, 33% of their children will be regular churchgoers. And 41% will be irregular. But still, about 75% of their kids will honor God in some way. 25% of their kids will never cross the threshold of the church. If a father is irregular, but the mother is strong in her faith, only 3% of their children will practice the faith. If a father is irregular, but the mother is strong in her faith, only 3% of the children will be faithful to regular Mass every single Sunday. 59% will become irregular, and 38% will never cross the threshold of the church again. If the father is completely non-practicing, but the mother is faithful, only 2% of their children will be regular worshipers, and 30% will be irregular, and over 60% will never go to church. If you look at those figures from the other way around, what happens if the father is completely faithful and the mother is irregular? 38% will become regular churchgoers. And this is very interesting. What if the father is completely faithful and the mother does not go to church at all? You get your highest percent of faithful Christians. 44% will become regular churchgoers. What does this say? It says everything that our world will not say. It says everything that our politically correct world and our woke culture will not admit, but every psychologist and criminologist and anyone who studies humanity knows, and that's that men matter. Fathers matter. And the father of the faith really does make an impact. What did the sacrifice of Abraham instill in his son Isaac? That I will not just believe in a God, but I will act upon what my God tells me. That my faith is not something I can comprehend. Faith is not an algebraic equation. Faith is not 2 plus 2 equals 4. Faith is something that I know and I believe in. I don't have to have it figured out. I just need to do it and enter into it and be faithful. And God will bless us. And right now, the culture war on men is destroying ultimately their children, which is the goal of the evil one. Women, this is in no way, in no way, 
to diminish your role. The impact that you have in your life and your children is very important. But I will say this, women. The impact that you have in the life of your husband is even more important. Because what is the one thing that a woman can do that no one else can do? Get her husband to do things. And on the day of your wedding, you promise to sanctify your spouse. And your role in sanctifying your spouse will sanctify your children. So never give up on your husband. This past Thursday, Father Man and I were meeting for dinner. This Thursday was the Feast of St. John Vianney, and we met for dinner, and I had to drive across the county to meet up with Father Man. And as I did, in driving my car, I drove by the old North Dearborn Elementary School, and then I drove by Bright Park. And this is not overestimating. There were at least 500 young boys it was 89 degrees, it was 7.30 in the evening, and there were hundreds of young boys playing football with their dads because it's football season. In sauna-like temperatures, grown men were outside sweating, exercising, bending over, and doing things that only ibuprofen and Coors Light would cure before they went to bed that evening. And they do it every single week, multiple times a week. Why? Because their actions matter. And what does every single one of those sons know? And what will every single one of those sons do for the rest of their lives? And what will the majority of those sons volunteer as, as adults? We don't even need to say it, because we all know it. And yet, how many men are willing to do that for the faith? How many men are willing to suffer, to sweat, and to be inconvenienced by their actions because of the Lord Jesus? And the answer, sadly, is not what it should be. What type of faith does it take to sacrifice your son? It takes a deep, blind, active faith. What impact does that faith have on that father's children? It's beyond imagining. Let's pray against a toxic culture that is destroying men. Last night here at this Mass, the girls' cross-country team from Mercy McCauley was here. There were 50 young girls at Mass last night. I find it very interesting when I talk to young girls, and as you know, I am a cross-country coach myself. When I talk to young girls, I'm like, and I find out that they're dating someone, I'm like, oh, that's really, well, actually, clearly, the word dating doesn't exist anymore. There's like talking and texting and all these other things, but nonetheless, when I find out that there's someone, a boy, that they somewhat have some sort of interest in, I'll say, oh, that's really interesting. How long have you guys been talking? Oh, that's like a few months or something. Okay. Uh, so, does he go to church somewhere? I don't know. You don't know? The most important thing that you should know about this person that you are talking to is whether they will be a worthy husband to raise your children. 
whether he's cute or athletic, in the long run will all go away. But if he's faithful, it'll never go away. How are we raising our children? And how are we as men being fathers in profound ways? Today as we baptize these two beautiful children, we pray for their fathers as well. One of them, Andrew Megal, where is he at? Andrew is one of my altar boys in Jennings County. And somehow someone married him. How are we raising our children, and are we setting an example? Let's pray for that grace today, and through God's grace, may it be so.